How do courage, COVID, and consumerism tie into culture? Well, on this episode of The Cultured Podcast, you'll find out from Kate Bingham and Burt, the illustrator who focuses on obsessive consumerism. Lego. Babies, I am officially joining you from the year 2021. As you know, I recorded the intro for the last episode with Drew Tates in 2020. And whoo, buddy, I am now on the other side of 2021 with you. And it is basically so far 2020 v2. But you know, what's to be expected when all we're doing is forming an arbitrary timeline, just according to when the Earth rotates around the sun. You know what I mean? So on this episode, I'm talking to someone extremely special, very talented, with a phenomenal story, the Kate Bingaman Burt. And you're about to hear what an exceptional perspective she has and, unfortunately, how relevant the conversation we have about Black lives and oppression continues to remain super relevant. But she also tells us a lot about her own background and what she's been doing during quarantine, which, unbelievably, on the other side of 2021, we're having to be probably even stricter on. I mean, that's how I feel because numbers are skyrocketing. Um, tried to make that in like a little like breakfast cereal jingle just to like lessen the burden of it. <laughs> but anywho, there are some big changes coming this year and I have dubbed this the year of expansion. And so that is my inspiration for today. But my inspiration is also an announcement that I feel pretty bittersweet on that I think encompasses this inspiration of expansion. And that is that this is the last episode of Cultured before our series finale, our complete podcast finale episode, which is coming in two weeks. And it's a very, very special one. But basically, I have decided that like all wonderful things that help us grow and expand and find joy and bliss, this is as ephemeral as any other thing. And so I am bringing it to a close. The Cultured Podcast will no longer be releasing new episodes after this next episode in two weeks. And honestly, I feel really good about it. I feel weird um, about not being with the Cultured Crew, about not dedicating so much of my time to talking to artists and learning about new art forms, because this has been an integral constant in my life for years now. But it's also the launching pad that inspired me to start Frequency and grow Frequency and meet all these incredible people. And now I'm taking on another endeavor alongside Frequency that may become something special too. And the bottom line is that I found my purpose in frequency. And on a daily basis, all I want to do is stuff that revolves around what I do with frequency and audio in general. So it's bittersweet. 
it's it's weird, but it also feels right. And it goes along with this theme of expansion because what I'm feeling from this year is that expansion is very real for all of us, but it's not this like glorious kind of expansion that's like, oh my God, utopia, we're expanding. I mean, the vision that I got, the like image that I got in my head when I was thinking about expansiveness as like the word for 2021 was Alice, you know, in Wonderland, Alice taking the growing potion and becoming giant and busting through the house, her arms and legs just like busting through the house that she was in and how uncomfortable and cramped she felt as she was growing. And that's kind of how this feels is like we are meant to shed things that prevent us from the full growth of our potential. And that's not a comfortable process. We're about to expand if you let it happen. We're about to expand outside of the normal realms of our definitions of what's good, what's bad, what's good for the world, what's bad for us, self-care, definitions of community, of work, of capitalism, of economy. I think we're about to majorly expand outside of the confines of our own perceptions, and that's going to be super uncomfortable. But what I also feel is that if we allow it to happen, if we allow the changes to take place and don't hold so firmly rooted to what was and what we think was true before we knew something else to be true, what happens is that opens up a whole freaking new realm of opportunity, a whole new world for you. A whole new world. I had to. And in exchange, you're feeling some discomfort. And yet, you know, you're receiving these opportunities for growth that are going to change your life for the better, I hope, I think, I feel, I believe. So that's the announcement slash inspiration for this week. We have one last new episode coming out um, in two weeks. And that's a very, very, very special Um, Well, I guess I'll tell you. It's a special conversation between everyone who's made the Cultured Podcast possible. Jessica, Olivier, Becca Godwin, Ina Garkusha. You'll get to know them. You'll meet them. You've seen their picture on the feed if you follow us on Instagram before. But now you're actually going to get to hear how all this came to be. And everybody in that conversation is also a critical member of the Frequency team. So you're going to get to know what it's been like to you know, transition from this like scrappy podcast team to a fast growing podcast production company. So yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy that last episode. And it's it's going to be our chance to say a bye to everybody in the Cultured Crew. But just remember, of course, that you can listen to 80 episodes at this point. And there's a beautiful backlog. And yes, we've had to take some of those episodes down because 2020 felt like the year of reckoning and awakening. And we found out some real ugly stuff about people we'd interviewed in the past. So you'll see some episodes missing. And it's because we don't want to give a platform to those who are still doing so much work to heal themselves. And um, it's just, it's an ugly phase right now. So Anywho, how many things can I squeeze into an intro? Am I right? This is a beautiful final interview for us. I'm really, really glad this is our final interview. It's been a wild ride, and I have appreciated every single one of you who have listened. We have kept this show small and scrappy and really focused our attention on the content and on the conversations that we're bringing you. And for one, I have had 
the most amazing pleasure of getting to know the artists in this show, many of whom are now my friends. And it's going to be weird to live in a world where I'm not the host of Cultured Podcast. Um, well, of course, I will always be the host of Cultured. But let's just say there's more to come. So, you know, you can follow Frequency Media on Instagram, F-R-Q-N-C-Y Media. And you can follow me on Twitter, Michelle Corey. You know the name, hopefully. Okay. So anyway, without further ado, let us get into our last artist interview ever on the Cultured Podcast with Kate Bingaman Burt. Lego. Kate Bingham and Bert, I'm so excited to have you on the Cultured Podcast. I'm so excited. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. To have somebody on this show who has like matches my level of energy, which I feel like you are this like gregarious, fabulous, joyful, exuberant personality. Not that I'm calling myself those things, but sure. Fine. I'll take it. I'll take it from me. Is really exciting. And on top of it, I've just been following your work for a really long time. So this is just double the excitement. So thank oh, you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So before we dive in, let's level set. <laughs> Excellent. So let's do it. Tell us who you are and describe your art form for us. Okay, well, um, my name is Kate Bingham and Bert, and I am an illustrator and educator and over the last, let me think, I think the main thing that I deal with in my art is just the stories behind our stuff and objects and how we consume them and how we kind of imprint our own memories to these machine-made things. And I find like that to be very fascinating. And it's been, it's been the thread that I've been pulling at for like 15, 16 years. And I love talking to people about their favorite objects. I love listening to the stories. I love documenting collections. I love documenting collections of people that I know and people that I don't know. And it's just been a really fun kind of journey that I've been on over the years. And a lot of that work manifests itself in drawings or in zines or in large scale installations. Or in the early 2000s, it was very much like internet art. And I use air quotes to say that, but that's what I was doing in the early 2000s. Now it's just what everyone does in <laughs> the 2020s. Um, but that's that's really kind of like the core and then that has led me to a really wonderful career in teaching and building community. Um, I have really gotten like, I love finding spaces and turning them into places for creativity. I love, I love organizing events. Like it's just, it's, I, I have a practice that is also really important to be just me and my my drawing tools but then I have to kind of like step away and then it's like me and like lots of people so mm -hmm. that combination of um just being solo and then like needing lots of people to mm -hmm. to make things happen has been a really rewarding one that's kind of it in a nutshell in a nutshell in a real <laughs> nutshell <laughs> so so describe your illustration style 
Okay, I will describe my illustration style because it's all very accidental. All very accidental. Um, <laughs> I dig it. So I actually, I never really enjoyed drawing at all. Like I would do lettering in high school, but it was mostly just to like forge other parents' signatures. <laughs> um, I... I was, I was, that was like my thing where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got a pretty good eye when it comes to that type of lettering. I also would like, oh, we need to have lettering for the prom float. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But like, as far as like drawing, I'm like, well, hell no, I cannot Mm -hmm. do that. That's not going to happen. Like go talk to Chris Hutchison because he can make a truck look like a truck and a deer look like a deer. He is your guy. And it's one of those things too. It's like, I mean, I grew up in an artistic family, like, but I still had a very narrow point of view of like what drawing was meant to be. It was realism and that was it. And that's it. And that's it. And, um, and then I was an art major in college, but like I drawing classes were my least favorite, but Where I came to drawing, the way that I can describe my drawing style was that it was after a big project where I'd photo documented everything that I'd purchased in the early 2000s. I also was $25,000 in credit card debt. Mm, And I had just spent the last two years kind of creating this online community of people who were like talking about things that they were purchasing and like sharing stories. And here I was like, what I felt the time was this very shameful secret. And the $25,000 in credit card debt, I mean, it wasn't like I was purchasing big things. It was just like, you know, yep. coffees and magazines, because that's how it happens. And that's how it these happens. Were, these that's how I went cards. into debt. And then oh you add interest to that. And that's it's, when the exponential increase happens. No, it's awful. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like my first credit card I got when I was 18 years old. And it was for a Dillard's in Jefferson yep. City, Missouri. And they basically were like, you're 18. Here you go. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I have $200. I'm going to spend it on Clinique makeup. Done. You know, it's just. Yep. And then and they're like, oh, goes, you didn't pay. So your interest rate is like exactly. 50,000%. <laughs> so exactly. now you owe us $10,000 on your late payment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and also I had just started teaching. I was an assistant professor of graphic design at Mississippi State. And so I had just gotten my first, like, this was after my trade show job, and I had gotten my first, like, teaching job. And I remember sitting in my office in fall of 2004 with these credit card statements and just feeling like, feeling like garbage and, mm-hmm. and feeling embarrassed. And, and, and I was trying to call the credit card companies to lower the APR because yep. I was just, it was just insane. And I remember being so frustrated because like I was trying my hardest to appeal to the human at the end of the phone, like, please, what can I do? And they, I could tell that they were reading a script. It was like, mm-hmm. even though I was talking to a human, it was still very machine-like. And then I'm getting these machine-generated credit card statements in the mail. And so I sat there after one particularly incredibly frustrating phone call, and I just started, I just drew my credit card statement. And and then after I finished doing it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this with every single credit card statement until my credit cards are paid off. Mm. And I... I picked drawing because it was my least favorite way of working. And so it was kind of the equivalent to like, I will not talk in class, writing that on a chalkboard over and over again. But yeah, yeah. when I would get in trouble, my mom would have me sit down and write, depending on the the crime, it was either like 250 or 500. And I got in trouble a lot. I was a rebel and a little (laughs) shithead. 
But and she would make me write the same sentence over and over and over again. And it was the worst. And if it was sloppy, I had to rewrite it. And I started um, skipping numbers so that I could write less. And so she started (laughs) noticing. So for every number I skipped over, she had me write 10 more lines. So like this was your this was your self-imposed penance. This was your like. Yeah, this was my self-imposed penance. And and the thing is, like, I didn't I didn't like drawing. I felt like this was a compromise because it was also writing. And like I had said earlier, like I I felt comfortable doing writing. I actually really loved like my handwriting. And I really loved like the way that I would like learn things was by writing notes. And so I just kind of I I, I started I got into drawing through writing and repetition. And Mm. then like jokes on me, though, I actually really started to enjoy the making of the lines, the drawing of the logos, the just kind of the whole thing. And so my my drawing style, wow. my lettering really was built out of kind of copying the machine type from mm. credit card statements. And then about two years into that project, um, I decided that I wanted to try to draw something other than my dumb credit card statements. <laughs> I started my daily purchase drawing February 5th, 2006, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to draw something that I purchase every single day as an attempt to get better at drawing. But I had a system of rules that I set up for myself because I know myself Mm -hmm. and I know that I, you know, if it didn't look right, I'd want to start over again. So everything that I do is done in pen. And I also have like, if a line feels like it's going crazy, like you can't start over, you just have to go with it. So my initial drawing style was very like, shaky and wonky and felt like I was drawing with my feet. But then, you know, 14 years later, 12, whatever, 12, I have no idea what 2006 is, 12, 14. 14, Um, yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) So welcome. It's it's definitely my drawing style is still wonky, but it's more of a confident, it's a confident wonk, basically. And and that's where it all started from. And It's a stylistic trademark, basically. It's a signature. Yeah. Yeah. Confident wonk. Yeah, Um, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's how my drawing style started but I also feel very indebted to the time and place that I was in you know 2004 2006 I feel like a lot of graphic design and illustration was very um, sterile computer-based and around that time there were a lot of us that were like wait where's the hand where's the where's the humanity and so (laughs) there were I feel like I came up with like a wave of people that were doing more like hand-drawn DIY kind of like just showing the hand and the hand being celebrated. Um, So there was a good group of people that I was with during that time that were, again, where the internet comes. I was at this time, I was putting everything on Flickr. I found a really good like community Mm -hmm. with other people on Flickr. The internet felt so much smaller. I was able to like connect with people who, yeah, it was. I was able to connect with people who were working in ways that I found inspiring. And it was, it was, it was a really nurturing time to just be making things too. And I was also, I was living in Mississippi. I was in, you know, my mid to late twenties and it was just like, that's what I was doing. And I was, I, I felt very uninhibited to try lots of different things. And I feel very fortunate for kind of having that naiveness to, mm-hmm. to be like, Oh sure. Let's try that. Why not? You know? Um, because I yeah. don't, I don't know. Hindsight is a wild thing, but I don't know. 
I don't know what type of work I would be making if I, instead of being born in, you know, 1977, if I were born in 1997, you know? Yeah. And let's not even like, like, let's not even ignore the fact that your credit card debt also is what led you down this path to where you are today, which is a really interesting catalyst. Because I think that points to the things that we might think are the worst moments in our lives or terrorize us or keep us up are actually sometimes the things that set us on our path. I mean, it's kind of alludes to the quote, like, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. You know, everything exists in a state of constant duality or multiplicity, right? The things that can feel bad or the things that maybe 15 years from now feel like your whole life and purpose. Yes. Absolutely. And and it's also, I will never forget the the moment before I like shared these credit card statements, because of course I was going to draw them and I was going to put them online because that's what I did with everything at that point. But right that night, I remember this, the night that I posted my first batch of credit card statements to my website, I had like, I felt like I was just going to puke. I was just yeah. like, it was just such like sweaty palms, Mm -hmm. like just sweaty pits. Like I was just, and it was just this feeling of just like uncomfort, uh, intense uncomfort. But I also, at the time I thought that was a a bad thing, which I made it sound really bad, but it's also, I kind of, and I, I use this with my students too, where it's like, I now know that that's something called good nervous And that's where you feel like you're growing. That's where like, it's again, if it's not going to hurt anyone. (laughs) So like I'll have students that'll be like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I can't, I can't go and and talk to this person who, you know, wants to maybe hire me or I'm so nervous to like share my work. And I'm like, this is good. These are, these are good, nervous things to be feeling. And that Mm -hmm. means you should go and do it. Like, but it's hard to differentiate like what, what those feelings are, you know? I love the term good nervous because what is that other than essentially courage? Exactly. People don't connect to the word courage. I think people don't see themselves as capable of courage. And so to, to give it a name like good nervousness, I think is a lot more, that's like a psychological trick because you're like, I am nervous. Yes. I'm not brave. I'm nervous, but it's good nervous. So I'll allow myself to be good nervous and still do it. And it's like, tricked you into being courageous. Exactly. Oh, that's so good, Michelle. That's so good. But yeah, that's so true. And I, use, again, I just, I, I, I use that so much with my students. And it's essential. It's essential. And I see so many, so many people talk themselves out of doing things. And um, I just, I, I try to, I try to be like, no, 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 no. This is good. This is good. Let's let's make let's make some pro cons list about yes. why this is good and why this is outweighing the cons and why you should go through and do it. And oh my God, yes. I just I feel like some of those are the most like satisfying experiences that I've had with students over the years where, Same. you know, I see them get it's just like those. It's just like you see those like viral videos of kids like afraid to go off of the high diving board. And then mm-hmm. once they go off the high diving board, they're just like filled with exuberance. And like, again, oh my again, God, again, again, higher, that's higher. what happens with, with my students where it's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I did that. And now I can do it again. Yes. And I can feel, I can feel, and it can be better. And it's just yeah. like, oh, that's, that's what I love about teaching right there. Oh, it's not, yes. you know, shoving, shoving kids off the high dive. just pushing them off, like watching their terror. That's the best part. But you know they're going to be so good. And you know that they're going to return to that high dive and they're going to be even more confident. And it's just, ah, I love it. I'm I'm 
totally addicted to teaching. Oh, God. I can tell. Like, first of all, so many things, right? First of all, I can tell that there's just a a courageous gene in you because the reason (laughs) I brought up your illustration style is because I didn't know you started with photography as sort of like an area of focus. And... You mentioned I watched your Creative Mornings talk, which I highly recommend. I know it was eight years ago, but it is so oh good. It is so Thank relevant. You. It's so good. I was good. so nervous to do that. That was like my one of my very first public speaking things. It's awesome. And it really <sighs> gives a great background on your ethos. But I also learned a lot as a creative myself. Like I love your rules and systems. And in one of your rules, you were talking about like taking a photo of the object. Don't worry about composition. Don't overthink it. And, you know, I kind of glossed over that. But then you started talking about photography during our conversation. And I was like, actually, that takes a lot of effort. If you were a photographer and you're taking passing photographs and you're trying to tell yourself, don't worry about the perfection, that's a big thing to overcome. And then on top of it, to start illustrating something that is a source of shame for you, like credit card statements, and then to publish that to the for the world, even if the internet felt smaller back then, that's the dang world. That's your world. (laughs) (laughs) That holy shit, that's that's a lot of good nervous to overcome, you know? So kudos to you. It's, I'm, a, I'm a little addicted to it now. Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it, it happens. It's, it's a good hit. Like, I feel like I feel like opening outlet was another like I hadn't felt mm. nervous about stuff in a long time. And an outlet was a big dose of that. And um, I feel now like with COVID, and trying to, you know, what started as an art studio, which is now a business that, you know, you know, su- supports employees, like that's just another like it, it's 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 all sweaty armpits over again. But yes. it was, every it was day. definitely. Yeah, every day. <laughs> every and day. I feel I feel that um, also just like kind of being thrown out of my comfort zone with teaching and having to switch to it being online and trying to figure out how to make sure that my students are being taken care of and that they feel that they are having a a, a good experience through a computer. You know, I had a little freak out week three of the, of the spring term. And then I was like, okay, how do I make this be the best experience possible? And how did you, how did you handle that? Well, number one, I, kind of threw out expectations that I could be teaching in the exact same way. Yes. Because I think I think for Huge. the first couple of weeks, I really wanted to replicate mm-hmm. what it was going to be like in the classroom. And I was getting really frustrated that there's just no way that that could possibly happen. Right. That disconnect for me was really hard. But some of the ways that I've been incorporating not only teaching online, but also with my online workshops too, is just making sure that everyone is being heard, making sure whether that's on the screen or it's so easy if you're a shy kid to even disappear more now yes. on Zoom. And so it is harder than ever meet- to make sure everyone's being heard and seen. It's- yeah. And I want to make sure that I'm meeting them where they feel comfortable. So if they want to chat, that's great. If they want to do email, that's great. If they want to do, you know, just one-on-one video voice, let's do that. Like, but it's like, one of the things I want to know is I want to know what I can do for you, where you are. I'm here for you. And it's a lot harder to do that. It's mm-hmm. a lot harder to do that just because you know, my, my classroom power was 
just going and talking to everyone and going and finding them. Like I'm a super moving teacher. And Mm -hmm. by moving, I mean just moving around the room a lot and talking to a lot of students. But it's it's harder to be a little bit more confined to this 12-inch screen that I've got. Um, It takes so much more intentionality. And and not just that, but I imagine, I mean, I'm projecting a little bit onto you, but I imagine you're also going through your own, like, you have your child, you have your husband, you have your business, you have yeah. your businesses because <laughs> yeah. you're still illustrating and 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 there are commission projects plus outlet and keeping that going plus teaching. So you're, I imagine, sort of at max capacity, but then having to create even more space to think about how do I reach my students. Exactly. Exactly. But I feel like I feel like I feel very fortunate to have had so many years of teaching prior to this because any of that stuff that you just mentioned, like if I'm stressed about stuff, I can't take that into the classroom. Right. Because if I am worried about other stuff, it's gonna make those next three hours in the classroom so much worse. Mm-hmm. And so long before COVID, if I was like worried about any of those things, I would sit in my office and it was a total, like I would jump up and down. I would like, just, I like, I knew my energy level had to, it was like, I was a, like a, like a boxer going into a fight, you know, it's just like, okay. Because I, I have to be in a good place so I can help my students get into a good place. Mm -hmm. Because if I am distracted by anything else, it is going to make that class so difficult. And really so much of it is just about making, making good experiences and making things possible and easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, I, and so it's, it's a lot of like pep talking for myself too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause you gotta, you You gotta, gotta, you gotta. Yeah. So how has COVID, if at all, I guess the question is, has COVID, and by COVID, I think I've just started referring to this this sweeping insanity that is 2020 and what I consider to be an awakening slash wake-up call of 2020. How has that informed or changed your work and your thoughts on consumption, too? Yeah, I mean, I I one of the things that has always been a I'll, I'll make this a, a multi-part response. Um <laughs> the as far as my work goes, um I feel like just outlet in general, um it's always been really important for us to be part of the community and even though we are a business, we're not a nonprofit it's really important for us to give back. And it's even more, we've like doubled down on having, you know, scholarships for BIPOC workshop mm-hmm. students. We had a, um, a, a print show that we put together that featured 36 BIPOC local Portland artists who are printing in our space. And then since the end of May, we give away free posters free protest posters. So we're open Monday through Thursday, one to four. And we have this archive online where people can download and print their own posters too. And it's just this, just, you know, we're going to do that for as as long as we need to. And Mm -hmm. so that's definitely um, something that we've been doing here at Outlet. And then at school, 
with graphic design, it's been so much about how do we decolonize the curriculum? Mm. How do we, you know, make sure that we are listening to our BIPOC students? Um, we're organizing town halls for our BIPOC students. It's been a lot of anti-racist work mm-hmm. in that regard. And it's also, I just, again, I really wish that we could have this stuff be in person too. I mean, yeah. I think we're doing, and that's where the, mm. the, 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 the other COVID part comes in because this whole summer has been trying to figure out how to, I feel like our spring term was pretty successful online, but I'm like, how do we, I feel very fortunate that we teach graphic design because at least that's classes that we can be doing online. Right. Um, I, I feel, I feel for like our weaving students and our painting students and things like that. But the thing that I had been working on so hard for the entire time that I've been at PSU, which has been since 2008, is about building community. Mm-hmm. And everything that I um, built at Portland State was things that happened outside of the classroom. So, yeah. so much of that has been pivoting. Well, okay, so this big student showcase, how do we just shift this to online? And it's been really, it's been really the generosity of the creative community reaching out and being like, I'd love to do Zoom calls with your students. And just kind of like organizing all that has been really wonderful. And um, we're just going to be doing that again for the next for the next year, you know, and as far as like my own personal work, um, you know, the, the daily drawing project, I took I took a three year break from that from mm-hmm. 2014 to 2017, because I wasn't quite sure like what role it was playing. Um, but I came back to it on my 40th birthday in 2017. And I'm so glad I did, because that daily drawing project now is is a chance for me for just some like thoughtful, like one-on-one time with me and my sketchbook and more of like a, a, a journaling documentation of my life through stuff mm-hmm. and just me trying to be more intentional with where my dollars are going and being more intentional with, you know, the, the things that I'm purchasing. And granted, I have really bought some stupid things from Instagram ads, but I want to say who hasn't right now. Okay. Um, but it's been important for me to, to be putting my money towards different, different black led organizations, different black businesses and, and, and just being more, of an active participant in your life, basically. And I feel like that that project's part of that. And I think it, it should bleed out to, to everything that we're doing is just like, and I tell that with my students too, where it's like, I think it's so easy to kind of like be a passive consumer and also just be a passive participant in your life. But you actually, you do have ownership over the things that you're doing. And mm-hmm. like, if I have students that are upset with something at school, I'm like, well, what is it that we want to do differently? Like you have control over this, you know, what is it? What is the thing that you want to see happen and how can we make it happen? And so me being able to help kind of like activate that is really exciting for me and something that I want to continue to do even, even through this online school that we're doing for the next, hopefully just a year. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredibly powerful. And, you know, I think that um, we've been having to face a lot of the things that we've been passive about in our own lives and society. And one of those things has been capitalism and consumption. Yes. And 
you know, there's just daily conversations about the rich getting richer in a time that is incredibly hard for oh, so many people so who many are just people. sinking deeper and deeper into poverty or losing their homes or being evicted or losing their jobs. And and we have to sit at home and watch it. Yeah. We have to. Yeah. We, well, we don't have to. You could ignore it. Sure. Yeah. But like you kind of can't. If you tune into the internet, which is now certainly the oh, entire world, the entire <laughs> world, and in. it's also yeah. there's such a there's such a disconnect too because like I'm I'm teaching graphic design and and it's my responsibility to show students that that doesn't just mean that you go work at an agency so you can help a business sell shoes, you know? Oh my god! Yeah. Um, it's and I, talk it, about decolonizing. Like if you look at the history of advertising in this yes. country, it is the whitest of the white. It's so and it yeah. is racist and it is horrible. It's awful. And it's also like the so like white supremacist, but misogynist. Yeah. And so talk about. I mean, pro- propaganda across the world is built on graphic design. Yeah. So talk about having an active voice and role in reshaping that. Yeah. I mean, I think the tool set that I can give graphic design students is very valuable because it yes. can help them. It can help them communicate in a very powerful way. But I, I want I want that communication to be for 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 good. And also yes. too, like it's it's yes. I, I I have a lot of conversations with students that feel guilty because they're working or like former students who feel guilty because they're working at an agency. And I'm like, well how can you how can you take that money that you're making and channel it into something else? And it's I think it's so mm-hmm. important, but I also say this is because how I work too, where it's like you don't have to do just one thing. You can do lots right. of different things. Right. You can do lots of different things. And if you're working at a job that is paying the bills, that is, you know, keeping a roof over your head, that is like making you feel secure, that's good. But then also, if you've got some excess money, how can you, again, Robin Hood it and 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 use that to create the good that you want to see, too? Mm-hmm. I, we, we're not going to immediately be able so to burn powerful. everything down right away. No. And just like what you were saying no. earlier, Michelle, like it's like, how do we how do we continue to kind of exist in in, in this structure that we we have built over the years? And mm. and again, it's, I think it's just about being an active participant in your life. And in again, there's so many different ways that you can be working and doing and making too. Yes. Amen. Snaps, <laughs> snaps, 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 snaps. First of all, I'm just so glad that you are teaching those students. Oh, I'm so glad you. that you are in this world. You are also in Portland, which has been one of the loudest, most consistent pushers of this movement. Yes. And and loud and clear about what cannot continue. And I just want to thank you for being an active participant on this show today in this conversation. Oh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So before we sign off, where can the Cultured Crew see more of your work, learn more about you, check out some of those workshops you're hosting through Outlet? My personal account with my artwork is just Kate Bingbert on Instagram. And then Outlet is just Outlet PDX on Instagram. And then my website is katebinghamandbert.com. And then workshops for Outlet is outletpdx.com. Obviously, all of those tasty little links are going to be on the show notes at culturedpodcast.com. Kate, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really, this was a great way to start my morning. Oh, yikes. Oh, that's right. You're West Coast. <laughs> oh, I was yeah. like, morning, girl, you're on my 10 schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you so much. Thank you. 
oh my gosh, I just love this woman. Her energy, her enthusiasm, her point of view, all of the things she's doing to battle racism through the work that she does as a teacher, as an illustrator. She is dopeness embodied. All right, y'all, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you know what to do for next time. Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it culture. Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. And we're recording in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia.